Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Really excited about the podcast we have coming your way today. We are joined by Isaac Trotter. We're going to discuss the big news as of last week. Hunter Dickinson, the Michigan transfer, has committed to Kansas. Um, we'll dive into that with Isaac, the impact it has on KU's team this year, what may be the projection changes for KU heading into this next season. But Isaac, Thanks a bunch for joining the podcast today. Yeah, anytime. It's uh, it's fun to hop on these podcasts with you, and obviously you do a great job covering Kansas, and it, it feels like every time I go to the fog, it's like the message board is popping, and that's that's what you love to see. Like It feels like college basketball's interest is as high as it's ever been, and it's what, April or May 10th, and it's just like, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, I think people have really bought into the portal. Um, it's a little bit different maybe than last time, or this time last year, right, where KU is one of a few schools that didn't have anyone transfer out, right? They only had the one transfer in, but this year it's been total bananas. And I think the Hunter Dickinson sweepstakes were a big reason for that. But before, Isaac, we dive into this, um, just explain to, to fans or folks that maybe aren't aware of your work so far, what you do for 24-7 sports. You're obviously um, a national college basketball writer for us, but just talk to us a little bit about your role so fans kind of understand your perspective here and where you're coming from. Yeah, so I am a college basketball writer for 24-7. And, you know, I think we have a lot of guys that do a really good job on our recruiting team. Like, they're really locked into recruiting. And I think that there was kind of a little bit of a hole of, like, in-season coverage for college mm -hmm. basketball. And, like, that's kind of how I view my job is kind of fill in the gaps during the season from a national perspective. And then I love the transfer portal. It's something that I'm really – I really enjoy. I have, like – multiple updates on my phone or every time a kid enters a portal I get an update and it's like a little serotonin boost or whatever that is every time it's it's a little bit weird I probably shouldn't admit that publicly but it's kind of fun seeing like this transfer portal and I love free agency this is mm. kind of how I view free agency for college basketball so like the NBA hot stove is super fun well college basketball's hot stove is this now so like it's this is kind of what I really really enjoy so I kind of come at it from a different perspective I, I think I think it's good to have different voices and Obviously, we have such great beat writers, and I just want to kind of fill in the gaps and do a little bit different so we can kind of see every you know scope of the entire stage of college basketball because it's a great sport. Interest is growing day by day, and you know, especially with the portal, I think that it's never been easier to be a bad team and get good and mm -hmm. be a good team and get great. And so those are the fun things that I, I really like about that roster construction and roster building with the portal. Yeah, and that's exactly what KU has done this offseason. You know, you mentioned kind of free agency. Well, one of the biggest free agents, I think, probably in the history 
of the transfer portal, or at least in maybe the first three years of it really being a huge deal, is Hunter Dickinson from Michigan. Um, he spent his first three years at Michigan was an all Big Ten player, um, really good, and elects to enter the transfer portal. And when a guy like that enters, um, it's going to catch the attention of a lot of people. And from my perspective, you know, he entered the portal right at the end of March. And it was kind of that first week of April when Bill Self met with local media for the first time since he had the health event in March. I asked him what he wanted in the transfer portal because I think at that point it was known that KU was going to have some spots to work with. And he mentioned he wanted a big man that can get 20 and 10. And I really think there's probably only one big man in the transfer portal right now that you can realistically say, yeah, 20 and 10 would not shock you. And that's saying a lot, I think, about Hunter Dickinson's ability. And I want to go back to his time at Michigan, Isaac, because I know, obviously, you know, you do have some ties there in Big Ten country. Talk to us about his time at Michigan. Obviously, you look at the numbers, right? You know, averaging 18 points a game, nine rebounds per game at Michigan. Um, the team didn't have a ton of success in terms of making the NCAA tournament or making a run. But talk to us about Hunter's role at Michigan. What did that look like? Do you feel like the Michigan team was built around him well? Um, just break that down for us, folks, that you obviously didn't watch a lot of Michigan basketball last year. Yeah, so if we start from the beginning, Hunter was a big-time get for them. And as a freshman, he's playing with a really loaded team a couple years ago. And that was a the Michigan team that – now, it was during COVID, but they won the Big Ten Championship, the regular season championship. They had Franz Wagner on that team. They had Shondi Brown. They had some, like, NBA dudes on that team. And Hunter was one of the best players on that team. So – he, after the season, the second season, you see a lot of talent that they have. They have NBA talent. They bring in Caleb Houston. They bring in Musa Diabate. And the season was really iffy. And then the junior season happens. And they bring in really, really talented pieces like Jet Howard. And Kobe Bufkin takes a step. But, the you know, it was really, really iffy. And just frankly, I think Hunter Dickinson really wanted a coaching upgrade. Like, I legitimately think that. And I think that Bill Self is the best X's and O's coaches coach in the country. You put him and Rick Pitino in that same sentence there. And I think that he's going to be in a better chance to succeed. I, I, you know, you'll see stuff on Twitter. Um, you know, Hunter Dickinson had multiple NBA draft picks. He's an All-American and Michigan m misses the NCAA tournament last year. I don't think that was on Hunter. I, mm -hmm. I really don't. I think from when you watch him and with what he brings to you from an offensive standpoint, it's high-level stuff. That he's that he can do. He is really, you know, a new age offensive big man is is kind of a, a nice way to say it because the three point shooting he's added to his game. He's become a really really impressive three point shooter at low volume. I think he can increase that volume at Kansas. But the passing, the decision making, the finishing in the lane, he could finish over both shoulders. He has a really really wide array of moves, and we saw that Michigan team last year really didn't shoot the ball that well outside of Jet Howard. They had multiple instances where they had multiple, you know, non-shooters on the floor. And I think that that really impacted Dickinson. He's seen a ton of double teams all year long. But for the most part, his decision-making remained impeccable for the last two years. And the player that he's become offensively from his freshman year to his junior year is really, really impressive. So I, I think Kansas, this is a slam dunk thing for him. Like it's when he entered the transfer portal, I thought Kansas made the most sense right from the very beginning. You know, we do the pros and cons list, and it's like there's not really many cons for Kansas. So it felt like it took a long time for Hunter Dickinson to make a, a easy decision. Yeah, I, I love you mentioned the pros and cons list. Um, for folks that didn't see it, 
Isaac did that as the decision neared, right? Looked at some of the contenders, Villanova, Maryland, Kentucky, weighed the pros and cons. And I think the cons at Kansas was like one sentence where I think all the other cons were three, four sentences making pretty good points. And I think that probably is spot on that you look at the fit, right? Bill Self, a great coach who loves nothing more than throwing the ball into the post. And I think the perfect example of that is the national title game. You look at what Kansas had on that team, right? Remy Martin, um, a guy that can create his own shot, an electric player who was on fire down the stretch of that game. You had a lottery pick in Ochai Abaji. You had a first-round pick in Christian Brown, who's now tearing it up in the NBA. And yet, who does he go to with the game on the line? David McCormick, the guy that I think a lot of fans had some issues with throughout the season, and frankly, for his time at Kansas. And he's the guy that gets the ball in the biggest moment. He gets the game-winning shot, right? It's on the, the pregame intro video that they have now, him doing the Danny Manning fist. And I think that's exactly who Bill Self is and why Hunter Dickinson, I think, is a great fit. You look at, you mentioned the double teams there, and I think, well, this next year's team for Kansas, teams are going to have to pick their poison, right? You double team Hunter Dickinson, and someone's going to be open, and his passing is going to be good. You don't double team him, and you know Bill Self's going to give him as many post-ups as Hunter Dickinson wants. So I'm curious here. Isaac, you mentioned the three-point shot. That, for me, is probably the biggest difference between any big man Kansas has had. You think about Diedrich Lawson, not a great athlete, not a huge guy, could shoot the three a little bit, was a creative score, poor defensively. I feel like Hunter Dickinson probably is an upgrade of that skill set where he's 7'1 instead of 6'9, better athlete. But at Michigan, the three-point shot, what do you see from him there? And do you feel like that's something that can translate to Kansas, where I feel like at KU, that could be something that just takes the offense to a whole nother level? Yeah, no, I'm completely with you. I, I think it it's a progression, right? Like his freshman year, that wasn't really a big part of his game. His sophomore year, you start to see it a little bit more, and he's he's talked about it. His junior year, you really saw the jump where he's starting to put it together. I think it can just keep getting better. His form is really good. He's been a good free throw shooter throughout his whole career, which I think is an interesting subplot too with Hunter Dickinson. There's a lot of big men. They're going to draw a ton of fouls. You know, if you're in that 56, 57% range, that that's not a net high efficient post-up touch then. I think mm -hmm. with Hunter Dickinson, it's a completely different efficient post-up touch when he can go to the free throw line and convert. But I think the pick and pop game is very interesting. And I think also when you look at this, potential Kansas roster and if it is KJ Adams playing a lot at the four with his you know he's not really a three-point shooter having Dickinson that can shoot the three is really impressive and I think it will open things up it'll lessen my concerns about the spacing issues that Kansas could potentially have with the Dickinson and Adams front court I think you could do a lot with that combo together and a big reason why is like if you do a double drag ball screen Dickinson can pop Adams can dive and you kind of get the best of both guys. Dickinson's proved he can be a knockdown top of the key three-point shooter. That was one of his most efficient shots last year. And then you have Adams, you know, diving to the rim where he can use his pogo stick athleticism to, to make plays at the rim. And that's exactly why I thought Zach Clements was going to be a perfect fit for someone alongside KJ Adams, right? Because think about Zach, more of a, a stretch four type of player, right? Wants to shoot the three maybe not the best rebounder, and then KJ maybe playing the four, but also playing maybe closer to a five. And it feels like Hunter Dickinson is like the proven upgrade upgrade to what Zach Clements could have been at Kansas. You mentioned the free throw numbers. Hunter Dickinson for his career, 75% from the free throw line. That's a really good way to, to add on those points. I mean, you saw Jalen Wilson this year 
how many times did he get over 20 points by making, you know, five, six, seven free throws in a game, right? Those are big points you can get. And I think throwing that in the post up uh, to Dickinson will be a, a great look for Kansas. Now, I think defensively, there are some concerns that I've heard from Kansas fans. The numbers aren't great in terms of shot blocking, right? He's not necessarily a super dominant shot blocker. He does, I believe, average over one shot blocked per, per game but not someone that's going to be like Yudoka Azubuki in terms of really controlling the paint. So what'd you see from him in terms of just, I guess, defensively and for Michigan, like what type of coverages were they really running with Hunter? Um, Cause I think Bill self might do something a little bit different. Yeah. So as a freshman, he was playing kind of drop coverage and they had the long athletic wings, like Franz Wagner's an elite defender. And so they had long athletic wings that were kind of funneling everything to Dickinson as like a, a rim deterrent and he had a pretty good block percentage in the big 10 that his freshman year and it's kind of been solid throughout the thing but he's obviously not a huge huge vertical like put his chin on the rim and and you know block something up at the square that's just not necessarily thing but still as a freshman Michigan I think finished fourth nationally in defensive efficiency with Dickinson as a huge part of that at, at the front of the rim so the next two seasons don't go so well and now all of a sudden it's Hunter Dickinson's fault that Michigan can't defend I just don't buy into that notion I I don't buy into that notion. I think there's definitely real concerns about him guarding in space. Uh, you know, when he was playing in drop coverage, that was a thing that Michigan got really, really attacked by, especially Michigan State is a really good team with their pull-up jumpers and from their guards. And, you know, you look ahead to next year in the Big 12, you think of Houston, LJ Cryer coming off those mid-range pull-ups. That's a really thing that he could get, get to his game really quickly. Jamal Shedd, same type of situation. So you could see that being an issue. But I think that there's more here from an untapped potential for for Dickinson defensively. And I think if Kansas has always had really, really good defensive teams under Bill South, I think they can work with him a little bit to get him higher in his drops mm -hmm. or he's more at the level and he's not getting split as often. And then when you have the the more athleticism on the wings and the locked in def defenders, like Dewan Harris is a better perimeter defender than Michigan had the, each of the last two years. Like he's, he's an elite, elite defender. I think KJ Adams can help in, in that scenario as well. I think you just can just be a little bit more creative and Michigan didn't have the personnel to really, or I, I mean, again, I hate to say, it, but I just, I didn't feel like Jawan Howard put, put Dickinson in the right situation to succeed defensively at times. So there's definitely options on film or, you know, you can find little spots on film where, Hey, his effort and energy isn't quite what it needs to be. Hey, he maybe dropped a little bit too far here, but I felt like he was being put in bad positions a lot. And it's not like he can't be an impact defender. I think he can be a really solid, impactful piece. And then mm -hmm. I also factor in the offensive load. He had to carry a huge load at Michigan each of the last couple of years. That impacts your defense as well, too. So we'll see if, if it can be, you know, a big role, obviously, is coming at Kansas. But maybe as a little bit more surrounding him where he doesn't have to necessarily be the key cog every single offensive possession like it felt like it was at Michigan. Yeah, and you mentioned the drop coverage. I think one thing Bill Self hates more than anything is paint touches for the opposing team, and I don't think Kansas will do drop coverage. You saw them this past year, right, switch five with K.J. Adams. I think you'll probably see a reversion back to what you've seen with past big men where it's a little bit more of kind of the hard hedge, get back and recover. And you look at the guards that Kansas could have, right? You look at Dewan Harris, incredible on-ball defender. Omarco Jackson, really good size, sturdy at 6'3" has a plus wingspan. I've heard anywhere north of about six foot seven wingspan. Um, and then you look at someone like Arterio Morris too, really got the long arms, um, athletic. And I think those three guys for the kind of two spots at the guard, the one and the two, I think that can allow KU to 
be a little bit better defensively than maybe Michigan was, where maybe guys aren't getting to the paint as easily if Hunter's down there. And maybe that makes it a little bit easier for him to have a better impact um, in the paint. So I'm now let's transition big picture here because I think what this does for Kansas in terms of the projection for next year is really fascinating. You know, you look at Bart Torvik and, and his numbers of how incoming transfers impact it. Well, Kansas now is projected to be the number one team in his metric heading into next season. So when you look at this roster right now, considering the fact that there are two open scholarships and say a certain five-star recruit um, commits to Kansas at some point in the next seven days, are you looking at the most talented roster in college basketball? I think you have to. And I also think you're old. Like there's that really fun mix of like Dwan Harris is old and experienced, been through the wars. KJ Adams, old experience, been through the wars. Hunter Dickinson, old experience, been through the wars. Nick Timberlake, same type of deal. So like you have those, it's, it's not only talented, it's old and you see like the vision for what it could be in the years to come. So it's like, it's not like this top heavy roster with just seniors and it's kind of like a one year and done. It's that great mix of like young, intriguing five-star talented guys like Marco Jackson and, and obviously Arturio Morris is a former five-star recruit too. And then you add in like these old proven veterans, like it's hard not to be high on Kansas next year. I think we have them number one right now, even without a potential five-star addition add that to the mix and things can be a little bit different. And I think it's a Duke Kansas conversation, mm. but I keep giving Kansas the edge just because their best players are old. And I feel like their job description is pretty easy. Duke's a little bit younger, a little bit more unproven. I think there's, there's more questions. I feel like I can trust the known of Kansas and it's also Bill Self. When you have Bill Self on the sideline and a really talented roster, good things always happen. Yeah. 100%. I, I kind of look at the, the national title team for, of 2022 and I get similar feelings about this team just in terms of the roster construction, right? That title team was old, right? Ochai, Christian, Dewan, Dave, even Jalen to some extent, right? Guys that have been around and done that. And I think your point there is spot on, right? You're old at really good spots, but then you've also got guys that can flash as a freshman, right? Marco Jackson really turned heads at the McDonald's All-American game. And Look, like we'll have to see what happens with McKenzie and Baco. But I mean, if he does end up committing to Kansas, it's KU or Indiana. He's the type of player, too, that you look at that fit alongside Hunter Dickinson. Well, he's a stretch four. And that's exactly what Bill Self said he was looking for is a stretch four that can shoot it, is athletic, um, can maybe defend a little bit. And I took the roster and I, I kind of am trying to poke holes in it. And it's hard to do. And I think that's probably the first time in, in a while that you can look at a Kansas roster heading into the season and not really be able to poke holes in it. And I think that yeah. that is just a, a good spot, I think, for KU to be in. And here, Isaac, I want to go here. Big picture, right? You mentioned Duke there as one of the more talented teams in college basketball. Who are some of the other teams you feel like could be on the same level as KU and Duke heading into the Champions Classic, let's say, or just heading into the season overall? And again, we're talking here on May 10th. The portal's not closed yet. Guys can still make decisions. Guys can come back from the NBA draft and decide to transfer, right? A lot more dominoes can fall. But I think right here on May 10th, who are you projecting as kind of some of the better teams in college basketball if we're going to throw Kansas there near the top? Yeah, the, the one that I really think about is, is Marquette. That's a team mm. that got a two seed last year. They're bringing everybody back. But because they got knocked out in the round of 32, I think a lot of times March success is something that we like use a lot for preseason rankings, right? Like it's just every time. 
North Carolina last year. Like it's, it's really easy. So if I'm looking at Marquette going, if they made it to the elite eight and they have every single player back from a two seed that won the big East and won the big East tournament, are they the number one team automatically? If they just made a couple, won a couple more games in the NCAA tournament, maybe probably to be honest. So I would put them in that mix and, I, I think that they have a chance to be one of the best teams in college basketball. And then, then it feels like there's like a teardrop. Michigan State has a, a ton of guys coming back. But again, it's a ton of guys coming back from a team that went nine and nine down the stretch. So like it's not necessarily, you know, it's not always linear that jump. But it feels right now that for me personally, Duke, Kansas and Marquette have that best blend of high end talent. Know your job and also that those different roles. But those are the three that stand out to me right now. I, I could be convinced that Houston could turn out to be pretty, pretty good if they get some right people coming back. Mm -hmm. UConn has a really, really talented recruiting class coming in. I, I like I like the build of what they could be, especially if Donovan Klingon takes a Zach Eady-like jump. And speaking of Eady, if Purdue comes – if he comes back, Purdue's also going to basically run it back with their whole crew. Mm -hmm. So they have to be, again, a little bit – I still have some questions about them long-term, but they have to be you know, considered as, as one of the top ten teams in the country. So it's it's just a weird time right now in college basketball because it does feel like you know we have like 98% of the rosters done, but it feels like that 2% is – is really significant. And I wanted to ask you about Mbako a little bit. Like mm -hmm. it's weird. Like I look at this front court for Kansas and if like, if you have KJ Adams and Ernest Uday and you have Mbako and you have Dickinson, that's a lot of minutes for four really talented, or that's not that a lot of minutes for four really mm -hmm. talented pieces. It's, it's great depth, but like what are realistic expectations for that four? And yeah. like, is it crazy of me to think that like KJ Adams might not have as big of a role as many, maybe we project if, Mbako is really, really good or decides to, you know, if he chooses to be like, you know, in Kansas and then also his threes are dropping, like maybe Kansas tries to play, you know, a little bit more size and five shooter lineups. Yeah. So I think when you look at it, right, you play the minutes game, you know, you think about 30 minutes for Hunter Dickinson, 10 minutes for Ernest Duday at the five. And then what I look at is probably sliding Mbako to the three for some periods if his shot does end up being what we think it could be. And if you're able to do that, right, because I mentioned earlier, right, you've got the three guards for two spots. The three is kind of the one question where I think that's where Nick Timberlake is going to play a lot of his minutes. But he's not going to play 40 minutes there. And maybe can you get five minutes a game where Mbako maybe can play the three alongside KJ and alongside Hunter. And maybe at that point, then you roll with someone like Timberlake at the two or maybe you run with El Marco and Dewan at the one and the two. And at that point, then you got two shooters on the floor in Dickinson and Mbako, and maybe even Dewan Harris, right? He shot about 40% from three last season. Pretty good numbers, even though still maybe not the most convincing shot aesthetically, you know, but I think that you can still find a way to get KJ Adams 25 minutes a game and also maybe find some time where maybe you can get Mbako 25 minutes a game. I think it's really going to depend on his shot. If it translates to college, I think KU can be pretty versatile with the way they do it, just considering the fact that if they match those minutes to Dickinson at the five, you are still able to have the two shooters out there, which I feel like in college, you really have to have two shooters out there most of the time, where I feel like maybe in the NBA you need three out there. Um, I think there are ways KU can make it work and kind of keep everyone happy, where KJ can get his minutes on the wing like he wants and like KU wants to get him. Ernest Duday, I think, might be the odd man out. But look, there could be games where Hunter Dickinson gets in foul trouble. And all of a sudden you're looking at Uday needing to play 20 minutes. 
And right. maybe KU tries to maybe wane down the workload for Dickinson a little bit early in the season, make sure he's fresher late on in the year if you're expecting a deep March run. So I think there's a way that Kansas can keep everyone happy. And as Bill Self kind of tends to say, right, if you're winning basketball games, um, everyone kind of gets a share of the pie in terms of success. So I think there's an yeah. avenue towards that. Well, and it's it's interesting then because from this roster construction, like there really isn't that pressure on these young guys to be awesome. Like that's like it. It's all like gravy if they're awesome. Like Kansas will go as far as Dickinson, Dewan, and Nick Timberlake take it right. Like Nick Timberlake's a one best. I think he's the best catch and shoot three point shooter in the transfer portal. Like he was hands down that number one guy. So like those three guys will really carry them as far as Kansas wants to go. But like. If Arterio Morris is good, and if you know, if if Almarco Jackson is good, and Mbako takes a step, and all of those things, those are all like kind of additions, and that's kind of where you start to play around with the ceiling of this team. Like you don't expect all three of those guys to have you know a plus seasons, mm-hmm. but if you can get one of them or two of them to play above expectations, you can start feeling really really good about yourselves both in March and and obviously in the Big Twelve race. Yeah, definitely. I think you also have to consider the fact that. You know, let's say Mbako commits and all of a sudden you're looking at Kansas and saying they've got an extra scholarship, right? They've, they're going to be at 12 this year and they'd have 11 guys. They still have another scholarship to fill if they want to. Then they've got, you know, Chris Johnson coming in, Jamari McDowell, two guys that maybe don't have to play as freshmen and can learn and develop. And, you know, I think about MJ Rice last year and how challenging that was for him trying to find a role really wasn't healthy early in the season. And maybe it's a similar situation for those guys where, hey, get spot minutes every once in a while, but really learn. It's not going to be a redshirt year, but where those guys can just learn because you know Bill Self is going to play eight guys when conference play comes around. That's just how he rolls. It's going to be eight or nine guys, and I think you already have a pretty good idea of who those eight or nine guys are going to be, which I think is a really good thing for KU. So, Isaac, one end here. You mentioned ceilings. Hunter Dickinson, um, what should be the ceiling for him or expectations for him at Kansas this year. Yeah, I think I'm I'm not going to shy away from it. If everything goes right, he can win national player of the year. Like pull full blank. Like that's exactly what he can do with the massive workload that he could get with the roster construction, he can win national player of the year, Big 12 player of the year I think is up for grabs. I think like his floor is so high. Like on his podcast yesterday he talked about like everything could go wrong at Kansas and I'd still be fine. And I genuinely believe him. <laughs> I like I think at his floor, he's like a 14 and eight type of caliber player. And there's just not that many rare high floor, high ceiling type of players in the portal. And I think Dickinson is one of those. So realistic expectations like I I think it's fair to expect him to be in that 17 to 20 points a game range. I think he's going to flirt with double digit rebounds, especially with the makeup of this roster. You know, K.J. Adams isn't a awesome, awesome defensive rebounder. You know, some of the guards, especially in their smaller lineups, I wouldn't expect them to be an awesome defensive rebounding team outside of Dickinson. So I think he can pile up those boards there and be a double, dig- double, double machine. And if, if he's not an all big 12 first teamer, if he's not in that thick of it for big 12 player of the year, I'd be stunned. And so mm. there's just a, there's just a really, really good – this is just a great fit, honestly, for both sides. And that's what you want in the transfer portal. You want guys to go in and find the right fit and the right opportunity. And somebody needs to give me a list of the reasons why Dickinson won't work out at Kansas because I just don't see it, to be honest. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Isaac, thanks a bunch for joining the podcast. Um, Go ahead, plug your stuff. Where can KU fans and just college basketball fans in general find you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Isaac underscore underscore Trotter and then – 
Um, my, my stuff's on 247sports.com and, and that, and we'll also try to get it on as many team sites as possible to, to get it out there. But it's a fun time for college basketball and we have a ton of content coming. NBA draft is coming up. So I'll be at the NBA combine and taking care of all of those different things too. So we'll get to see some of the Kansas guys there and see how they do. And maybe we'll get some comments from them too, that we can, we can take care of. Love it. Awesome. Isaac. Well, thanks a bunch. And I'm sure we're talking again soon. Anytime. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today. Part of the CBS sports podcast network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.